Do you have a son? Well, let me ask you a question. How do you raise your sons in today's culture to handle difficult emotions and understand masculinity or to even like masculinity? Well, that's what we're going to be discussing today. Joining me is David Thomas, a counselor for 25 years. He co-hosts the wildly successful podcast, Raising Boys and Girls, with fellow counselor, Sissy Goff. David's newest book, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys, Tools Your Son Can Build On for Life, is all about giving our sons the tools they need to process common feelings like anger, anxiety, and depression. So let's dive in with our guest, David Thomas, on today's edition of Parenting Great Kids. Well, David, thank you so much for joining me today. This is a really interesting topic for me, and I'm thrilled to be talking about boys and their hearts and their heads. So thanks for joining me. I am honored to be here. I'm always grateful to get to share conversation with you. Thank you. You wrote a book, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys, Tools Your Son Can Build On for Life. Why did you write about emotionally strong boys? Are you thinking we have emotionally weak boys out there? (laughs) I think we could easily say emotionally weak, or I often will say emotionally lazy. Like they may know some of the right things to do, but don't necessarily flex those emotional muscles. And so I love the idea of helping boys not just become physically strong, spiritually strong, but becoming emotionally strong as well. And so I wanted to really talk about what that looks like. I think most of us would agree we want that. But the next question becomes, how do we do that? Exactly. So let's jump into it. How do we do that? First, let's clarify, what age group of boys are we talking about? I would say I wrote the book with toddler age boys all the way to teenagers in mind. I really did. But I, Meg, I've laughed with a friend just this week who said, I bought this for my elementary age son, but I can't tell you the things I'm using with my husband. And I'm like, well, great. (laughs) Whatever age male it seems to be working for, I'm excited about that. But that would probably be the ages I had in mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's go ahead. What is an emotionally strong boy? I think it really starts with thinking about the messaging we send to boys and to men all throughout their growing up. And I I sat with a dad just this week in my office who is a husband, a father. He's also a professional athlete. And he said, David, from the time I was a little boy all the way up until, you know, I left the house, the messaging I heard consistently was don't feel and don't ask for help. And he said, you know, those messages became embedded in me and I can't tell you how complicated it has made my life as a husband and a father that I was trained in that direction. So I really want to start with, you know, addressing the messaging I think we send to boys that's aligned with that, that I think moves them in the opposite direction of developing emotional strength. And then right in the beginning of the book, I talk about helping boys develop what I call the three R's, which Mm -hmm. is recognize, regulate and repair and recognize just being paying attention to the signs and signals my body gives me when I'm having an emotional response and developing an emotional vocabulary so that I can articulate what that is. Mm -hmm. I even talk about it a little bit like training boys the way we would help them understand the dashboard on a car, you know, that we get signs and signals at different points that the air in our tires is low or the oil needs changing. And we know that if we don't pay attention to those signals, 
the car could end up being greatly damaged at some point along the way. Our body does the same thing. It sends us signs and signals when we're registering with stress or worry or fear. And our job is just to figure out what it's communicating. And that moves us toward the second R, the regulation R, which is learning to calm our nervous system when it's in those heightened states of arousal. And I talk about it with boys of figuring out how to move from stress to settled or move from chaos to calm and how vital a skill I think that is for every one of us as human beings to develop. But how many adult men I know in this world who still can't do that? And then what often happens when we can't regulate ourselves is we just make a lot of mistakes. You know, I find every day I sit with parents who will say, he started yelling at me. He shoved his sister. He threw something across the room. And so... That moves us into the third R of repair that I want boys to be able to clean up their side of the street, to own their mistakes and do whatever relational work is necessary in those moments of needing to do some repair. I talk a lot in the book about how my experience has been that boys do a lot of swinging between blame and shame. And I hear a lot of blame statements like it was my sister's fault or my teacher didn't teach it the right way or my coach just won't let me have enough playing time. Or they swing toward a lot of shame and self-contempt kind of statements. I'm such an idiot. I'm the worst member of this family. But they can't get to that healthy middle ground of repair and ownership of just, you know what? I made a mistake. I yelled at this person and I should have done some settling things inside of myself before that happened. Let's divide that into two parts because this is for parents. It's a parenting program and it's for, you know, men who are a little bit older what is it that parents do or how do parents communicate to their boys that they need to emotionally shut down? And when do we do that? Because I think it's hard for, say, a five or 10 year old to recognize their feelings if their parents are saying, no, no, no. So what is it we as parents do to get our kids to shut down? You know, I think one of the things we do, and and this may surprise or shock some parents hearing this, but I think if we even think about how often we say to kids things like, you need to calm down. Mm-hmm. Sometimes what I believe we're saying underneath that, whether we're aware of it or not, is you need to stop feeling. As opposed to saying something like, I can tell you're having a lot of big feelings. Let's work it through. I love that language of work it through. And You know, in the beginning, that work it through language, when we're training boys toward emotional strength, it's going to be a lot of what we call co-regulation, where we're going to be helping them learn to calm just the same way we'd help them learn to ride a bike or swim in a pool or drive a car. We're right there with them in the process of this learning, moving them toward eventually self-regulation that hopefully they can do that on their own. Mm -hmm. But I think it starts with thinking about those messages. The other thing I would say to that is somewhere around nine to ten Boys begin to instinctively channel all primary emotions, fear, worry, sadness, confusion, disappointment, mostly into anger. Mm -hmm. And I think culturally, we in a lot of different ways say it's okay for boys to be angry, but it's not okay for them to be sad or scared. And so I think we've really got to pay attention to that messaging. The last thing I would say is that I think in many ways we have gendered emotions. And it fascinates me how often I think we ask the girls we love how they feel about a situation. And we ask the boys we love, what do you think about the situation? Wow. Yes, you're right. right. And I I know. And I want us to really be thinking about how can we ask girls more, what do you think as well as what you feel? And boys, what do you feel in addition to what do you think? Right. Because I think not asking that question to boys 
is again part of that messaging of it's not good for you to feel. So you just need to kind of think your way through this. Don't pay attention to whatever's going on inside of you emotionally. Do you think fathers tend to do that more than mothers? Because you've got a generation of fathers who were told when they're little, don't cry, you know, just get a stiff upper lip. Because um, you're right. I've heard even counselors I work with sort of say that, you know, I, I had a guy I was interviewing on a podcast. He said, you just need to tell your kids to man up. I'm like, man up. He's 10, you know. So exactly. how do you. OK, so you've got a mother who's comfortable sort of asking her 10 year old boy, how do you feel? But you've got a father who's saying, no, 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 that's ridiculous. I don't want to raise a sissy. How do you navigate that? I love that you even drew attention and asking that question to that statement of man up. I really want us to pay attention to how often we use that. And, And whether we're aware of it or not, I think within that message of man up, if boys are hearing that from their fathers, is the message of stop feeling. Your feelings are too big. Your feelings are out of control. Shut that down, make that stop, numb it out. And I think the other challenge that comes within the great question you ask is that if boys are only being given permission to feel from their moms and seeing emotions on the adult women in their life, it furthers that messaging of gendering emotions. Like it's okay for women to have a lot of feelings. It's not okay for males. And I talk throughout the book about how important I think it is for boys to see that emotions reside in the life of a man. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be as easy as... My challenge to parents is when you're sitting around the dinner table and just having conversation about your day, I want boys to hear from their dads as well as their moms, you know, statements like, you know what? I felt embarrassed today. I had to give a presentation to the board of directors and I didn't feel prepared knowing that that's landing on the boys at the table and they're being given a permission to see, okay, grown men feel embarrassed sometimes. Grown men feel afraid sometimes. Grown men feel sad at different points. And that's a normal human experience. Mm -hmm. So I'm just sort of playing the devil's advocate here. So say you have two parents who aren't comfortable saying to their five-year-old or 10-year-old boy, how are you feeling? What are you experiencing? And you've got this boy who shut down. How can you and when can you, an outside person, begin to help that boy identify his feelings so that he can begin to go, oh, I'm feeling mad or, oh, I'm feeling sad. At what age can you expect a boy to be able to to look into his heart and identify those feelings? I think it can happen incredibly early. In fact, Meg, I have a a strong memory in my mind of a time when my, I have twin sons and they were five years of age at the time and they were eating at the table. My wife and I were having a conversation in the kitchen and my wife was at the stove and we were having what I would say was just a lively conversation. We weren't arguing or fighting, but our voice was elevated and my boys were eating, looking as if they weren't paying attention. And about midway through the conversation, one of my sons got up from the table, walked over to my wife at the stove and just gave her a hug from behind and then walked back to the table and sat down. And I remember it just moved us both to silence. We were so struck by what was happening that obviously something was registering inside of him. Like this feels different. My parents exchange, my parents conversation, and I'm having these feelings inside. And I feel like I need to go give my mom a hug and check in on her. And that was such a reminder to me of Kids have their thumb on the pulse of a family in ways we just don't give them enough credit. Even if he couldn't articulate all of what he was experiencing, he felt this need to do something with the emotions that were registering inside of him. And boys are very action-oriented creatures, and that's common. So a lot of what I do in the book is talk about how do we help boys 
take the emotion to something constructive so they don't turn it on themselves. So they just don't spend decades trying to bury and numb that out, which I would say, according to the national stats, is exactly what has happened and continues to happen. You know, adult men lead the statistics for infidelity, Internet pornography, substance abuse, suicide. I could go on and on of some of the scary stats, evidence of how successful adult men have been at trying to numb out what they feel as opposed to naming and navigating it. And I really want to interrupt that in every way I possibly can. So let's jump ahead and work backwards. We're having really a crisis in our country of depression and violence and anxiety among young men. So how did those young men get from 10 to 21 or 18 and now they're violent, they're out of control, they're shooting people? Can you identify from what happened when they're 10 to when they're early adulthood? Yes, I think it was all those messages we've been naming and a lack of good modeling, you know, not the opportunity to just see, as I said earlier, what it looks like for grown men to have feelings and to take that to something constructive. And then I would layer in, you know, everything we know to be true about how much time so many adolescent boys are spending on violent video games. That was like one more brick stacked on the wall already that if you stir in all those ingredients, it's never a surprise to me that the very second I hear about another school shooting that has happened in our country, I know instinctively it was a male. Now, that's not to say it's never happened with a female, but it is to say we just know when we hear about violent crimes that are popping up on the news, the highest percentage of the time, it's going to be a male. It's going to be a young man. And we're going to likely hear some of the same evidence we seem to hear time and time again of that lack of opportunity that was there to develop in the space. And the only other thing that I would add to that is, you know, here I am talking to one of my favorite experts, pediatric experts right now, and you more than anyone know that when you do those great check-ins with parents on the front side of development where you're asking parents of girls and boys in those early visits, how many words is he saying? How many words is she saying? You know, the research would tell us time and time again, girls are going to be saying more words, sometimes two to three to times more words than boys are saying. And if we are to think on that and, and remind ourselves that if his general vocabulary is smaller on the front side, of course, his emotional vocabulary is going to be less developed. So we're going to have to labor longer. We're going to have to work a little harder to help him develop that expansive emotional vocabulary. And then with all these messages, we're going to have to work harder for him to get to see what that looks like. And so I even challenge parents in the book. Every chapter ends with five intentional practices, like things parents could be doing in the everyday to help boys develop in this space. And I'll talk about pay attention to when you're watching professional sports on TV or a live game, like men on the field, men on the court who are doing the work of regulation versus a man who's bowing up against a referee or getting himself drug off the court or thrown out of the game because he never learned those skills. Mm -hmm. Pay attention when you're at the airport. I was at the airport recently on that day when there was a record number of flights canceled and I've never seen so many adult, dysregulated adults in my life in one space, you know, grown adults who hadn't developed the skills of how do I work through frustration when plans change, when things aren't going according to how I imagine them to go. So all these different moments in the everyday that we could give kids opportunity to make some connections just through observation, because I believe kids learn more from observation than information. You know, it's that classic more is caught than taught. They're going to learn so much from watching. Right. 
Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with David Thomas. You can find David on Facebook and Instagram at RaisingBoysAndGirls.com. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. I will be right back. Well, welcome back to Parenting Great Kids. My guest is David Thomas, a veteran counselor, and our topic today is helping boys process emotion and masculinity in a culture of identity confusion. So if we dig down deep inside of boys and we say, you know, you and I are seeing a lot of depression, anxiety, we're seeing violence, we're seeing dysregulation. And I think when boys come to the point where they're out of control, uh, which we're seeing, it's kind of like a perfect storm. And my frustration, I imagine you would too, is you hear on the news, get rid of guns, get rid of guns. Okay, but let's talk about why that guy is shooting people up. So Absolutely. we know now that, is it fair to say he has so much emotional dysregulation that he's kind of numb on the inside? Absolutely. If we haven't been developing, I talk about the muscle of empathy. And I think Empathy is like a muscle, much like the bicep is like if we don't work it, it won't become developed. And so if we've not been flexing the muscle of regulation and the muscle of empathy and the muscle of emotional vocabulary, we can fully expect that we're going to continue to see some of these dangerous things we're seeing in the world. Some of those scary stats. I talked about those stats for adult men. But if we drill down, adolescent boys lead the majority of some of the scariest stats out there as well. And again, it's just all part of this messaging we're talking about. Do you feel that if you take a boy who's sort of emotionally numb and is only comfortable with anger, uh, does he pick up a lot about violent video games or violent television, or does that not have an impact? Because I've heard some professionals say, oh, no, no, there are studies that show that these violent video games exposing to boys don't have an effect. What's your thought on that? My thought is that they absolutely have an effect, but I would go even deeper, not just what I think is happening in terms of his exposure to violence, but what I talk about in the book is that I think technology has become a primary numbing strategy for boys. In fact, you know, Meg, it's fascinating to me. If I think back, I've been doing this work for 25 years and on the front side of my work, I don't have a memory of working with a single adolescent boy that was not racing to the start line of getting his driver's license. Like even my growing up, every boy I knew, we couldn't wait to drive, have that opportunity for independence. I can't tell you how often I come across adolescent boys right now who are for the most part, just disinterested. They're not that passionate about getting their license. How many boys I sit with who don't have any desire to ask a girl to a dance, who don't want to get a part-time job. And the common denominator in all those things is it involves what you and I would call healthy risk. It's it's scary to ask a girl to a dance and not know if she's going to say yes or no. It's scary to go sit for your driver's test. I might pass. I might fail. It's scary to go interview for a part time job. But boys are content to just stay in the basement playing video games. There's no there's no risk involved in that. I don't have to interact with other people other than having a headset on at this point. I don't have to read nonverbal cues. I don't have to worry that a girl's going to turn me down to the dance. I don't have to worry I'm going to fail the driver's test. And so I think there's also that layer of we're diminishing opportunities for boys to develop, have opportunities for healthy risk and develop resilience and resourcefulness, all these things. And that's hardwired into who we are as males. We crave meaning and purpose. We want to feel like the things we that there is something we have to offer the world with our hands. The things we do with our hands matters to others. And if we're not giving boys these healthy opportunities and they're just camped out with a 
set of uh, headphones on playing violent video games, I'm never surprised that we keep finding ourselves in the same moments over and over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think they're all around. So I meet parents who will say, I know I don't like the games my son plays. He's 15. But every time I try to take uh, the games away, he throws a fit. So what do you tell parents to do and how much time is okay? What's your advice for parents on regulation of video games? I would say based on all the data we have on hand, and certainly 10 years from now, we'll have even more data on hand in terms of how we understand it to impact the developing brain. But we have enough on hand to confirm that every living, breathing adolescent needs limits, healthy screen limits. None of us needs to camp out in front of a screen for extended periods of time. And I would say to parents listening, and this may be hard to hear, but I talk all throughout the book about how in every aspect of our son's life, including this one, we want to prioritize his character over his happiness. We want to prioritize his well-being over his happiness. And so I'd agree with you. He may throw a fit no different than the toddler threw a fit when we took them to your office to get a finger prick or to the dentist for getting their teeth cleaned, you know, but we do those things because we understand that's a part of his well-being. Yeah. He's got to go for well visits to the pediatrician. He's got to go to the dentist for cleaning. I want you to prioritize those things because you understand it's for his greater good. Even if you know you're going to face a battle in that space, it's a battle worth fighting. I agree. I feel it's important for parents to begin that process early. You know, when the child is 10 or 11 and set those boundaries early, because if you don't and you're a single mom, say, and you've got a 16 year old boy who's sitting in the basement for seven hours a day and you try to tell that kid he could become violent. And this is a problem for single moms. I mean, obviously, a lot of boys aren't but it can be really hard to contain and control once he becomes a young man. So, but you should still fight for it anyway. Is that what you're saying? I would absolutely say that's a battle worth choosing, but I love your wisdom in that. And I couldn't agree more of for parents of young children listening, start early, start setting those healthy limits. So it's all your kids have ever known. But if you're a parent of an adolescent and you're thinking, I'm, I'm too worried we're too far down the road. You're not. We can always walk anything back at that point. And, and I would absolutely say it's a battle worth choosing. Mm-hmm. We are running out of time. I could talk with you for about uh, two hours. And um, the book is Raising Emotionally Strong Boys, Tools Your Son Can Build on for Life. Can you give us three of the best nuggets in the book that parents could take away from that are would be your priority for parents in raising emotionally strong boys? I know that that's hard because you wrote a whole book on it, but just you know, three nuggets if you could. I'd love to. I would say a starting point would be the very thing I mentioned earlier. Let's prioritize helping him develop an expansive emotional vocabulary. And we've got a feelings chart on our website, raisingboysandgirls.com, that you could download today and have that on the ready. That is a great reminder for us as adults to be folding in more emotional vocabulary when we're just doing the everyday reporting. I'd secondly say good modeling. I think it's where boys are going to make their best connections. And that's, again, something we can impact this very minute of just allowing them and and narrate your moments of regulation. I want parents to do that. You know, if you're driving in the car this afternoon, I want kids and adolescents to hear their parents say things like, you know what? 
I'm feeling really amped up right now because the traffic is thicker than I thought and I'm worried we're going to be late. I'm going to do some deep breathing for a quick minute or I'm going to turn on some great music that's going to help me in the regulation process narrate those experiences so kids get to, again, see that on grownups that they trust. And then lastly, I would say when we talk with boys, you know, I hear so much from parents of I get a lot of I don't know. He looks disinterested. It's hard for him to make eye contact. And I believe it is harder for boys. And so I would challenge parents listening, have a lot of good conversations side to side. I think eye to eye can feel a little more threatening for boys. And I think they can open up more side to side. So talk when you're walking the family dog. Talk when you're driving in the car and he's in the back seat near the front. He doesn't have to look at you. Go outside when he's shooting hoops and retrieve the ball and give it back to him and have good conversation in those moments. But talk around task. Just move in wherever you yes. can. Move in. Yeah. Yes. My guest is David Thomas and the book is Raising Emotionally Strong Boys, Tools Your Son Can Build On for Life. And I love your book. I love the points that you have in it. But I would agree with a lot of adults. A lot of this information we can use on ourselves, even women. Now, I, I'm a mom, but, uh, you know, as a grandmother of sons, too, it's a fabulous book, not just for boys but or for young parents, but for grandparents and men for themselves. So thank you so much for being with me, David. And I look forward, perhaps, to having you back on again. And we can talk so much more about the book we just really we just sort of skimmed the surface of it so thank you so much i would be delighted to come back i love anytime i get an opportunity to talk with you it's a pleasure thank you well i hope you enjoyed my conversation with david thomas he has so much to say you can get a copy of his book raising emotionally strong boys tools your son can build on for life on amazon or at RaisingBoysAndGirls.com, and more details about David are available in our show notes. All right, let's go over my points to ponder. One, let your boys feel. One of the biggest issues fathers have told me that they struggle with is allowing themselves to feel, because when they were young, they were told not to be like a girl, a sissy, or to be tough. This will emotionally kill a boy because they have strong feelings just like girls and need to process those feelings. If they don't, they become emotionally stuck. They're not sure how they feel or what to do with their feelings. This causes serious problems for them when they're older. Two, give your son an emotional vocabulary. Teach your son to identify anger, happiness, sadness, frustration when he's very young. You do this by watching him and identifying those feelings when he has them and say, are you angry? Are you sad? When he agrees, say, it's okay to be angry, but when you are, there are things you can and can't do. You can't hit, say mean things, etc. So when you feel angry, go and do this and always give your son something very specific to do. Go to your room and hit your pillows against your bed or go downstairs and play with Nerf bats, whatever it is. Find something that your son can do when he's angry. And then you can tell him when you feel angry, go and do this. And then encourage him to say that he's angry when he feels it again. Three, 
Teach your son to be comfortable with his feelings. Most of us are uncomfortable with feelings like sadness and grief and melancholy. If you help your son accept and process his feelings early on, he will be more comfortable accepting them when they appear later. This will help him stay emotionally balanced, happy, and will help with his relationships when he's older. I want to thank my guest, David Thomas, for joining me on the show today. Check out his latest parenting resources at RaisingBoysAndGirls.com. Now let's recap my three points to ponder. One, let your son feel. Two, give your son an emotional vocabulary. Three, teach your son to be comfortable with his feelings. Well, I wanted to share some exciting news. Our new movie produced by Pure Flix, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, will come out August 1st. So pay attention. I think you're really going to like the movie. It's just fun and uplifting. Well, if you have a father in your life that needs some help, go to meekerparenting.com strong and have him check out our Strong Father, Strong Daughters Masterclass. It teaches him how to implement a lot of the principles in my book and in the movie. Always remember parents, until next time, great kids are raised, not born. <laughs>